This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Patrick Moran, Talk About Buffalo Podcast here. So I have David Tilton from Buffalo Fanatics on today's episode with me. We had an awesome conversation. Uh, we broke down the Bills win over the Ravens last weekend. We start getting into Sunday's Buffalo rematch with Kansas City. This time, of course, with the AFC Championship on the line. I just wanted to forewarn all you guys listening that something happened with today's episode. Uh, Dave's mic, it worked fine. His recording sounds great. However, something happened to my track with my mic on my external recording. And long story short, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but my studio track with my mic sounded horrible. I mean, just terrible. I couldn't use it, so I had no choice but to use my backup track, which is not my studio mic like you're hearing now. It's my generic laptop mic, and by comparison, it sucks. Uh, It sounds like I'm giving school morning announcements over a loudspeaker as compared to David. Who sounds like he's in the studio as he should uh, I tried for a couple hours to fix it but there's just not anything I could do about it so you know when you do nearly 300 of these episodes now and then something funky is going to happen this specifically has never happened before hopefully it never happens again I just want to let everyone know in advance if you're a regular listener to the show you know the sound production of this pod it's pretty top notch And if you're new and you're listening for the first time, this is not the production value that you usually get when you tune into this podcast. Uh, I thought of just scrapping it all together, but you know what? David was awesome, man. And I wasn't going to let my own crappy audio track wreck a really fun and informative conversation for Buffalo Bills fans. Hopefully, you'll get used to the sound quality difference after a couple of minutes and it won't bother you anymore. Anyway... Just want to let you know that, and now that I got that out of the way, let's get this podcast rolling. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. Know the life that you share with nice people who care. It's time to tell them all we're up and standing tall. America, we're a All right, what's going on, everybody? What a week. What a week we got coming up here. Episode 285, Talking Buffalo Podcast, presented by our friends over at 26 Shirts. Big, big thank you to everybody out there, as always, for continuing to listen. Download Sports Show really means a lot to me. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review, all that fun stuff. Really helps us continue to grow this little podcast of ours. And like I said, what an amazing weekend. What a time to be a fan of the Buffalo Bills. I almost said Buffalo sports, but then I remember the Sabres. So I'm going to drop back on that. And we'll leave this just for the Bills right now. Uh, 
Got a guest with me today, co-host along with Steve Mathis of the Air Raid Hour, part of the Buffalo Fanatics Network, David Tilton. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? What's up, Pat? I'm doing well. Um, Thanks for finally having me on. I know uh, we've been trying to do this for a a little while, but it kind of the schedule's finally worked out. And hey, the timing's great because, like you said, what a what a week to be a Bills fan. What a season, really, to be a Bills fan. So thanks, thanks so much for having me on. I'm really glad to have you on. And I'll tell you, as a fan, it's been a fun season. And also, and look, obviously, we're going to talk plenty about the game on. Saturday night, looking forward a little bit, at least, uh, to Kansas City next Sunday. But forget the fan part. As a content creator, as somebody who does a show, not once, but twice a week, and not just a show, but a live show on YouTube, along with Steve, what's it been like this year being able to cover a team and talk about a team that's just been so good, man? It, It makes the job. And, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of content creators say, well, I just want to talk about the team and it doesn't matter if we're good or bad. It doesn't change my perspective. I think that's bullshit. And I'll tell you right now, when, it, when a team is good and a championship contender, it makes doing your job and it makes doing what you do a hell of a lot more fun. Like this has been a fun year for you on a professional level as well, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And I mean, we can see it too in just our numbers and our viewership, right? Even with like Rico being our headliner at Buffalo Fanatics. I mean, his viewership on the post game um post game you know shows that he does on YouTube the 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 numbers are way up it, it's way more fun and i think that like what's what's fun about it is like we you know we always like kind of try to predict and sort of what's going to happen with the season and we had this sort of growing feeling going into the season that this team could be good but to see it actually play out and to see them actually be really good uh it makes it a lot easier on us and you know obviously um emotions run higher too when we get to these like crunch time games and the the interaction you get with some of the the people on social media or even during the shows live it's um it's fun and I'll tell you what doing the live shows it's it's a little bit of a different animal cuz you're kind of seeing comments come in and the viewers kind of shooting from the hip a bit and you're you kind of have to react and um but you know what it's all fun and and I love it and yeah Steve and I have been doing now the live show really um, since about like the spring before we were obviously just the podcast, but once we switched to the live show, I mean, it was, you know, it was something definitely different, but the bills being good has certainly made it, you know, way more enjoyable and, and honestly a little bit easier for us too, because, um, it's easier to kind of quote, get up for the shows, if that makes sense, because the team is so good and you don't have to kind of like talk yourself, uh, talk yourself up or get yourself hyped up too much. For sure. And then people, and again, you do a live show and a lot of your show is based on interaction with people who are watching the show and commenting in real time. And let's just face it, it's a lot easier to uh, to be in a good mood when, when the team is winning. Now, you know what's funny is, well, it's not really funny, but I think the expectation going into the season was a good chance to win a division. I mean, I, I don't think the way the season played out in terms of winning the division was much of a surprise. We've been hearing for several weeks now, national commentators like on ESPN, NFL Network, Fox, et cetera, saying that the Bills had a legitimate chance to make it all the way to the end and probably play the Chiefs. When did you truly start to believe that? Like when, I'm not going to say it was not, like it wasn't unrealistic to me, but I didn't always buy that. I thought maybe, you know, because in part we've been, 
besides just content creators, whatever, fans of this team for a very long time. And I think over the years, over the last two decades, for the most part, you kind of become accustomed to being, I mean, let's just face it, let down. You know, they went 17 years without making the playoffs. Last year, a good team that blew a 16-point lead. Uh, you know, you never know what to expect from this team year to year, but they looked good early on. It was obviously they were going to be formidable this year, but at what point did you start to think that very realistically, this is a team that could be where they are right now, which again, come Sunday is going to be playing for an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I what you just said is kind of something I mentioned to Steve a few times is like, we have all these scars as Bills fans and like each kind of time they check the box this year, it kind of helped erase some of those scars in a way, but you always still had a few left that you needed to get through. So I would say for me, um, when it really started to, when I really started to think that this team could, you know, not that I don't want to say be something special, but believe that they could actually do damage in the playoffs and not just win the division in a year where we kind of expected that because of the, you know, the way the rest of the teams in the AFC East have kind of shaken out, but it was really the Seattle game for me. Right. So we came off that really hot start where we won four in a row and then we kind of had the, the rough stretch there with Tennessee and Kansas City back to back and the unusual circumstances with the rescheduling for both of those games. And then we come back after that Chiefs game, you know, we beat the Jets, but we we do it with all field goals, right? So it's like, you're kind of like, okay, what is this team really? Like, we know they're a passing team through six games. So that's kind of what they've shown. But what is it? What are they really? And then Russ comes to town, right? Seattle, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson come to town. And the Bills really make a statement to me in that game by, you know, the defense kind of finally had a, a little bit of a statement, although we did let up the points, but they really played well and they contained Russell. And then the offense really had a rebound and, and, and not necessarily coming out party because they came out in the first four weeks, but like a really resounding offensive performance and beating a team at that time with Seattle, where Russell was very clearly in the MVP conversation himself and maybe even at the top of it. And so that to me was the turning point as far as like, this team really now could do some damage in the playoffs if they get there and they kind of continue this hot play. So for me, I think it was that Seattle win. Yeah, Seattle was a big game for sure. And I also think Pittsburgh was as well. They had lost one game that the Steelers were undefeated the week before that, but they lost, was it, it was to Washington, bad loss. But at that time, Pittsburgh was probably considered the second best team mm-hmm. in the AFC and to go out and play like shit offensively for the first half and then still win. To me, that was a, that was a big game. And, you know, it's kind of fun, too, watching. Not that it matters, but, like, celebrities are kind of jumping on the Bills bandwagon. And that's always uh, fun to see. One of them, I don't know if you watched The Office when it was on. I don't know how you feel about that TV show. It's probably my favorite TV show of all time. But, um, anyway, regardless, Andy Buckley, who, of course, played uh, David Wallace, the CEO of, of Dunder Mifflin on The Office, did you watch The Office? I probably should ask you this before I go. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big uh, Office fan. I'm a big Parks and Rec fan. I love, I love yeah. both of those shows. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it's kind of fun because he went in the Davis Wallace mode on uh, – or David Wallace mode on Twitter. And if you remember at the end of uh, – I think it was the end of the fifth season at the company picnic, um, Michael and Holly did that skit, which was not funny. It bombed. But they revealed in that skit that they were closing the Buffalo branch. And obviously, being from Buffalo, that stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, so everybody <laughs> at the corporate picnic lost their shit who was from Buffalo because they didn't know that the branch was being closed on him anyway. And he's been on Twitter again, his David Wall is in character again, talking about reopening the Buffalo branch because of the bills. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's pretty cool to see that stuff. And, you know, John Cusack now coming out as a big Bills fan because he likes the underdogs. And uh, it's just, it's been a lot of fun to see. And I don't know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm trying to really soak it all in and remove myself because there's a difference. Like when I have a podcast and I discuss the Bills, I, I try to be at least very objective. I don't try to approach it so much as a Bills fan, as somebody who's just going to be very unbiased and, and call it how I see it, even if it's not going well. But when I try to remove myself from that and just step back as a fan and just really, uh, you know, relish and cherish the way this year has went, it's just, uh, it's just been unbelievable. And as somebody like yourself, by the way, everyone knows that I'm down here in Florida. I should have mentioned this. Now, Dave, you're from New York, right? But you live in North Carolina right now, right? Yeah, so I am from New York and live in a town down here in North Carolina called Cary. And I moved down here in the mid-90s. And it's funny because this this town where I live, is a, there's a lot of transplanted New Yorkers here. And it kind of got the nickname, um, like the abbreviated nickname of Containment Area of Relocated Yankees. Uh, is what they call carry because there's so many people from New York that have moved down here, you know, and from other parts of the country, there's a big, um, like technology park here called research triangle park in the area where I live. And there's companies like IBM and Glaxo and, and met and like these companies have big headquarters here and people kind of made this, um, you know, they made this like kind of pilgrimage down here, I guess, if you will, in the nineties when jobs were moving down here because of cost reasons. And so my parents both worked for IBM. I ended up being down here, but there's actually quite a few Bills fans for that reason, because, you know, you've got a lot of New Yorkers in the area and especially, especially here. I mean, my neighbor, like two houses down the street has one of those inflatable bills, like Christmas looking decorations in his yard. Growing <laughs> up right now. That's so, cool. So it's cool. I mean, North Carolina is a good place, and uh, there are still still good a uh, good amount of Bills fans here, which is nice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, down here in Florida is a transplant city, and there's plenty of Bills fans down there as well, fans of all kinds of uh, teams down here. But the point I was trying to make was I'm allowing myself to step back and be a fan more right now and truly enjoy this because, again, when I was doing the podcast for the last couple of years, I've approached it like mainstream media would, you know, where you're not really being so much emotional about it, but you're kind of just offering your insights and just having interviews and letting other people, you know, control that narrative. But I've forced myself to really enjoy this right now. Are you kind of in that same mode where, you know what? Sure. When you're on your show, you got to at least attempt to be objective, but in your heart, you're a Bills fan. And it's just been so much fun just to sit back and watch all of, uh, you know, corny as they may sound, your dreams of seeing this team be where it's at come to fruition. It's just been goddamn, man. It's so much fun right now. Ugh. It is. And and you're right, because you do have to kind of try to find that balance when you're trying to be objective, because you don't want to be the guy that's either always down on the team and people know that and they won't come listen to you for that reason, or that you're always a homer and they know no matter what the team's doing, right. you're you're going to just talk great about them. And then people know that's what your stance is going to be every time something happens with the team. So, but I think right now is a special time because we all kind of can come together as fans and creators and really appreciate what's going on. And I think 
we do get Steve and I get a little bit of a reprieve from that in some regard with the live shows because the obviously the people commenting are commenting as fans, you know, mostly and and so we do kind of take a little bit of time out and kind of you know read those comments and kind of react to those comments as fans and um so we do get a little bit to a little bit of that but you know for the most part people understand what we're trying to do and you know when i kind of you know turn the mic off after each show or while i'm watching the games you know i really try to stay off like social media and things like that during the games because i want to just enjoy it as a fan during the you know during the moment if you will and and that's what i try to do and i think you know it's funny because you know Twitter, especially I know you and I both are on Twitter. We have like the group chat with the Buffalo Fanatics people and you know on Twitter. And so inside the chat, it's a lot of fan, a lot more fan kind of talk. And then obviously outwardly on Twitter and the shows were more objective, but it's kind of it's kind of nice that you can still do that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know what? Let's talk about why we're in such a good mood right now. And that's Saturday night. And look, Teron Johnson is getting all the play and he should. I mean, that might have been the biggest single, single single biggest Bills play I can remember personally in 10, maybe 20 years or so. Just a mm-hmm. huge play. But I want to start with one play, and I want to get your reaction to this, if you can even remember this, because mm-hmm. sometimes the stats don't really tell a story. And one play that really stuck out to me, and I remember it very well, was involving Levi Wallace. Okay, so Baltimore – where actually Buffalo won the toss and deferred, and Baltimore got the ball, and it took the opening kickoff, started at their own 25-yard line, and I don't know if it was that they were over-pursuing, maybe they were a little bit too hyped, but the defense looked like shit very early on. I'm talking about the first drive. Yeah. Ravens drove yeah. like 50 yards on the first nine plays. They went from their own 25 to the Buffalo 25 like it was nothing. Like I said, I don't know if the defense was just too hyped and they were over-pursuing or some, whatever, but they clearly were rattled. And then it was first and 10 from the 25 and Lamar Jackson went back to pass and it was Levi Wallace on a, on a blitz that sacked him for an 11 yard loss. And eventually that drive turned out with Tucker missing a 41 yard field goal. The first of what would be two misses for him in the first half. And then after that, the defense really settled in and they looked like the 2019 Buffalo Bills defense. And for the most part, were dominant. But my point is this. You look at it, and a sack is a sack. I mean, you know, it always looks good, but that was a very big play for, for me with that game because if Baltimore comes out and they punch it down your throat and you're down 7 nothing, that might get you thinking a little bit. But they gave up 50 yards, and somebody needed to make a play to stop the bleeding on the first drive, and that player turned out to be Levi Wallace. And I feel like that really set the tone for the defense for a lot of the game. You know what I mean? I mean, it totally did. And because honestly, like right before that, uh, I was quite deflated because we had just stopped them on what, you know, what would have been a fourth and one and we had stopped them, but we were off sides. Right. So you kind of you kind of go back and realize that like, man, uh, you know, if if we had stopped them there, we would have gotten the ball back. And then all of a sudden it's first and 10 right away. And then for whatever reason, and I found this a little odd that the Ravens decide to drop back on that first and 10 because they like you said, they came out running the ball pretty well down our throats that, that, you know, that drive. And so for them to kind of try to, I, I mean, I kind of get it right. They're trying to mix it up a little bit, but on the first and 10 to set them behind the chains with that 11 yard sack, I mean, obviously was like a huge play because, you know, with the Ravens, generally their offense, they're not really built for, 
for huge down and distance. That's a whole separate issue I had with the defense. But on that right. particular, yeah. <laughs> on that particular series being the opening series to hold them to a field goal attempt was obviously a big win for how easily they were moving it down initially. And so, you know, it was kind of like a even on the first series, just a roller coaster with like, okay, you're letting up you know, the big runs, then you stop them on fourth down, but you were off sides and then you get the sack on the very next play. So early on, you, I kind of had this feeling it was going to be an emotional roller coaster for most of the game. Yeah. You know, I, I, you brought that up and instantly in my mind, like the light bulb in my mind went off because the Bills defense as a whole was outstanding, but not so good at giving up. They gave up a couple big third down and long mm-hmm. conversions, which was, Again, kind of frustrating. But you know what? You're playing a very good football team, and you can't expect a team to not make plays at some point. And again, it's kind of sticking with that whole stats don't tell the whole story thing. Like, we could talk about the Teron Johnson interception and return forever. It was a it was a great play. It looked like for a, like a half a split second, maybe, he was just going to kneel down. And then he took off. And I was like, whoa. Because at first, I don't know how – when. so when you watch that play – did yep. you know immediately that it was an interception? No. Because, like, for a split second, I thought it was a Baltimore guy who caught the ball in the end zone for a touchdown. Because Al Michaels was even a split second off covering. You, you didn't know right away it was an interception no. either? You couldn't tell because from the broadcast angle, it went into just a traffic, like a, a like a bunch of bodies. And it was like you were looking for the ball, and you couldn't really see the ball. And so you're just, like, looking, and there's, like, a bunch of bodies. I mean, obviously, I saw a Tehran there, and there were, like, I think there were two Bills players there, and a, couple Ravens, but it was like very hard to tell. And then you saw all of a sudden he emerges from the, from the, uh, you know, from the end zone is kind of really when you first see that he's got it when he kind of starts coming out of the end zone. And so you're like, everything was delayed, right? Al Michaels was delayed. My reaction was delayed. And so it was like, yeah. you can even tell when you watch all these videos that people have posted online, the, the crowd reaction was even a little bit delayed, right? They couldn't even quite tell right away. So it was all just like a little bit split second delayed, but man, that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was great. I mean, when he first got it, I was like, oh, he's just, like you said, I think he's just going to drop down, fall down into the end zone. But, you know, when you listen to his interviews, like I saw green grass and he went for it. And I'm like, you know what? In a game like that, where, you know, one possession, you know, it's tight. Like, yeah, go, go for it, man. Go ahead. Because I mean, it seemed like worst case was going to happen. You'd probably get tackled around like, you know, if you were going to get a touchback anyway. So Right. Um, kudos well, for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, to me, if it's not the biggest Buffalo Bills play in the last 20 years, I'd love for somebody to tweet at me or whatever and tell me what was a bigger play. But again, and you know, you said that like you try not to tweet during the game because you try to enjoy it more. I didn't, I usually do tweet during the game. However, I haven't tweeted during the playoffs, during the game. Mm. And in part, I don't even want to say it's because I'm enjoying it. I think it's because I'm can, a nervous wreck. You, you can't start now, though. Suffering from you can't anxiety. Start now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely not going to. But right after the game, literally the first thing I, I don't know if it was right after the game, but it was definitely after the game. The very first thing I tweeted, and again, sticking with that, like I said, Levi Wallace, it just goes down as a regular sack. But to me, it was a very big play. Another big play that will not show up at all in the stat sheet is uh, Trey White. Trey White got downfield, mm-hmm. and if he doesn't hustle his ass off and ultimately get a block, get a piece of Lamar uh, Jackson, he's going to get caught, and it's not going to be a touchdown. So, you know, these, again, huge things you don't see on the stat sheet. And Trey played all right. You know, it wasn't his best game. He almost he did get burned on a 
long pass. Uh, Hollywood Brown was wide open, but the quarterback overthrew him, the backup quarterback. But anyway, that's not, that's not what I'm here to talk about. Again, good teams are going to have opportunities to make plays. But the point being is Trey White hustling his ass off and getting a piece of Lamar and slowing him down. That's the reason why Teron Johnson went 101 yards ultimately. And the way the offense was in Baltimore's defense, good defense, now if he gets tackled in midfield, 40-yard line, maybe the Bills don't score. And again, it went from being potentially 10-10 to to 17-3, and that was the game. And Trey, my point is, is Trey White, when you're an all-pro player, when you're a key player, you find ways to contribute, just like in basketball. Some days you don't got that jump shot, man. You're not going to go for 30 points, and you better find another way to help your team win. And that's what Trey did. He didn't have his best game ever in coverage, but he found a way to help his team win because, again, that was the key block that sprung him for the touchdown. So that was my first tweet over everything else after the game. Was I was just so pumped to see Trey White hustle and make that block. I I agree with you because it, it would have been a bit, would have been very easy for him to just kind of trail and watch the play like pretty much everyone else did, right? Other than Lamar, and I think it was Willie Sneed. I, I can't remember what receiver it was that was coming down to try to chase Teron down. It was Sneed. It was Sneed. Yeah. Okay. So even Trey doing that, even if you know Lamar doesn't necessarily get the angle to him, he's also kind of in a way creating a boundary for Sneed as well because you come you see Sneed coming flying in after Trey gets the block on Lamar and he, he kind of closes the gap right on Tehran, but obviously it was too late. So in a way I felt like Trey almost kind of created uh, two blocks, one intentionally on Lamar and then one just kind of like as like a body to kind of get in the way of Sneed's angle. So Sneed couldn't take the direct angle to get to Tehran. And obviously at that point, Tehran probably would have been, you know, inside the, the 30 or 20, but again, with the way the field goal, you know, field goals were looking that night. There was no guarantee we were even going to get three there, even if he gets tackled inside the 20 or, you know, wherever. So kudos to Trey on that for being, you know, an, an unselfish play, right? Really? Because, um, Lamar, you know, he's one of the fastest guys on the field, if not the fastest guy in that situation. So for him to get down there and do that, man, uh, my hat's off to him. I, I think that was a great, Great tweet to have first tweet after the game because um, a lot of people obviously were talking about Tehran rightfully so, but Trey certainly deserves some credit there. You know, what's funny is this 2020 season, and again, it's been a hell of a ride. Well, I don't know about your show. In fact, I'm, I know about your show because I've tuned in plenty of times. I usually spend a lot of time talking about the offense and what Josh Allen did and what Stephon Diggs did and this and that. And then it's kind of like, all right, well, now let's talk a little bit about the defense. Now it's the playoffs and it's money time, and look at us. 25 minutes in, and we're still talking defense because, again, they were the key. And if you want to win a championship, your defense is going to have to play. And, again, Teron Johnson, obviously, he's been grabbing the headlines, as he should. And, by the way, going back to the Pittsburgh game, his pick six turned that game around, too. So, sure did. Sure did. You know, I'm kind of embarrassed. If I went and I wanted to call myself back, or if I wanted to go back and call myself out on my Twitter, I know I've buried Ron Johnson at times Yep, in the Me slot. Too. Me too. I buried AJ Klein early in the year and he came back and redeemed himself. He played amazing for a nice stretch when the bills really needed him before Milano got back and healthy. I think I'm going to admit it. I know I'm not the only one. I know a lot of bills fans were calling for Teron Johnson. I'm pretty confident. There might've been a time where I said that nickel corner is probably the bill's biggest off season need. And he's still not perfect, 
But yo, I'll trade imperfection for a guy who's going to make game-changing, franchise-altering plays like this. And again, he hasn't just done it once. He's done it twice now this year. But in terms of the defensive line, because I thought, again, they played very well. Uh, Jerry Hughes, man, if it wasn't for Teron Johnson, I think Jerry Hughes would be getting a lot more headlines. And again, we're taping this Monday, late afternoon, early evening. Jerry Hughes is a, is a money, big game player, man. Two sacks, two tackles for a loss. I thought his contributions to that game were huge. And again, we're not for Teron Johnson. I think we'd be talking a lot more today about Jerry Hughes. I thought he was fantastic. What were your thoughts on him? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And before talking to Jerry, Levi Wallace was a punching bag for a lot of people too um, uh, throughout the beginning parts of the season. So sure. kudos to him for making that sack. But yeah, Jerry Hughes, um, you know, for me, he's one of those guys that like, you know, me, Bruce Nolan, Steve, like we all have kind of like gotten onto this point where we have to defend Jerry Hughes all the time. And it's like, just watch the guy play. And he like, he does make big plays, whether he's pressuring the quarterback. I know he doesn't always necessarily get the sacks, but he has been right lately. And especially in this game, Lamar Jackson's probably one of the, if not the hardest guy to sack in the entire league. And you know, that sack where we got, where he got on Lamar, it was like, um, early in the drive, they were deep in the Bills territory. I mean, Lamar had held the ball for like he had time. And for so for Jerry to get there and for Lamar to not be able not escape that, I felt like, you know, really again setting the Ravens up in really difficult down and distance for them as like a as a rushing team. It's not really what they're built for to get behind the chain. So a couple of those plays from Jerry Hughes are really, you know, they're drive killers for the other team. You know, it may not necessarily be the same effect against, you know, the chiefs or other teams, but against the Ravens, those are huge plays because they're again, not known for, you know, they're passing their dead last in the NFL and passing the regular season. So Jerry Hughes shows up big. And what I really like about Jerry Hughes too, is that he, he doesn't care about like the pressure or like how big the stage is. Like he's, he's going to give you a consistent performance every game, no matter what, like you can like pencil him in, for just a consistent performance every week. And that's like, he's a true pro. He's, he's been probably, you know, could arguably could make outside of Stefan Diggs trade, maybe the best trade the bills have ever made getting him for Kelvin Shepard from the Colts um, for the contributions he's made. So yeah, big Jerry Hughes, Jerry Hughes fan here. Um, and yeah, very happy with his performance in the game. He's been very consistent for the bills since, 2014, basically, when he came there. Certainly along with Diggs, the best modern-day trade, or at mm -hmm. least recently, I should say. I mm -hmm. mean, obviously, Cornelius Bennett is right up there with the biggest, best Bills trades ever. But, yeah, uh, yeah you know, I, I saw another fun stat, too, that he joined Bruce Smith and uh, Jeff Wright. He's the only player in team history with multi-sack uh, playoff performances multiple times. So he had one or two sacks or more, more than once now in the playoffs for the Bills. So he's one of only three guys to ever do that. Now, I've been kind of preaching to you that for the most part, I attempt to have a show that is unbiased and objective, and I'm going to do that there. I'm, I'm going to put away the fanboy for just a second because I want to be a little bit honest here. The Ravens offense, I mean, the Bills defense played very well, okay? They deserve a ton of credit, but at the same token, the Ravens offense played like shit, dude, right? Mm -hmm. Because guys dropped some easy passes. I mean, Lamar threw the horrible interception, and that is just absolutely inexcusable. You cannot do that. And that was the, the play of the game. But his guys didn't do all that much to help him either. I mean, because, again, I remember J.K. Dobbins dropped a couple passes. So they, they had guys open 
Uh, again, in that fourth quarter, they were down two scores. And there was still plenty of time. Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, got behind Trey White by like five yards at least. Mm-hmm. And Huntley, the backup, overthrew him by five yards. Mm-hmm. So there were opportunities for Baltimore to make plays. Lamar did short arm some throws to open guys. It just, uh, as much as the Bills deserve credit for playing well on defense, I think Baltimore deserves a lot of blame for making it easy because there were a lot of plays left on that field that Baltimore, frankly, made and they just didn't execute. Oh, yeah. The drops stand out to me, especially I think Dobbins had a couple, right? And I think there was another yeah. play. I can't remember exactly. It might have been on the same – I can't remember if it was on the same series that Lamar threw the pick or not, but he – I mean, there was a wide open receiver coming from the right to the left from his view, and he had a little bit of pressure on him, but he short-armed it, like you said, and it would likely have been a touchdown for the Ravens. The big miss to Hollywood, obviously, and, um, you know, there were definitely misses for the Ravens. And, you know, don't expect Justin Tucker, who's one of the best kickers of all time, to miss multiple field goals either, for that matter. So, you know, miscues, a lot of miscues for the Ravens' offense. Um in in that game especially in the first half with the missed field goals but you know ultimately I think it's one of those things where you know I guess for me if if you're the Ravens like um you know Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins as your primary rushing threats and kind of came out of the gate hot and you know we were running pretty well with Dobbins and and then all of a sudden you know Gus Edwards as well. Like you think about him on the first drive and then he didn't really do anything after that. And I thought that was a little strange too, because it seemed like Gus Edwards was a guy that they had involved quite a bit here towards the later stages of the season. Him and Dobbins is the one two punch since Ingram's been sat down. Um, and you kind of didn't see much of Gus Edwards either. So some, some weird things going on for that Ravens offense and you're right. There were some missed opportunities um, so that in combination with the Bills defense, obviously being one opportunistic with the Teron Johnson play and two really playing one of their best games of the season, you know, it all equates to just three points for them. And obviously um, the one thing I will say is they still, they still kind of killed us in time, time of possession in that game. So um, yeah, the third, they were moving conver- the chains. Yeah. The third down conversions for them were good. The third and longs that they were converting, but, um, but yeah, I guess, Again, the box score sometimes doesn't tell the whole story, as we know. Yeah, absolutely not. And part of that was because the Bills' offense, I mean, let's be frank here, they they weren't great. I mean, they got it done. They were efficient enough, but they weren't great. Gus Edwards, he ended up with 10 carries for 42 yards. Actually, so did Dobbins. They both had 10 carries for 42 yards. Credit to Leslie Frazier because you could tell the Bills, especially, again, after getting beat a little bit early on, they were really committed. Mm-hmm. Stopping the run. They had a lot of guys in the box and they were daring Lamar to beat him with his arm and obviously couldn't do that. And again, other side of the ball, nothing to brag about, but I, I got to say this, man. It It's easy to say this, but at the same token, it can't be overstated how important Stefan Diggs is to the Buffalo Bills, okay? Because you're talking about a night here where Marlon Humphrey shut down Cole Beasley. It was not 100% and not close to it, okay? But Beasley didn't have a single catch. Gabriel Davis struggled, dropped a touchdown in the end zone. It wasn't the easiest catch, but he should have caught it. Um, So on a night where other guys aren't going and the quarterback was, all right, we'll talk about him in a second. Stephon Diggs was the best player to me on the field for either team. And he had to be because 
the Bills, I mean, John Brown caught passes and moved the chains a little bit, but Stephon Diggs was the offense, basically what I'm saying on, on Saturday. They didn't have anyone else besides him. He's just been, I mean, it's tough to even describe it because I remember the trade and I remember being excited, but I didn't know, and I don't think anybody knew that he was going to be this good. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 17, he's got, what's it, 17 games this year. The Bills have played 18 times, okay? 17 of those games, Stephon Diggs has six receptions or more. Yep. Nobody has ever, in the NFL, yep. in the history of the NFL, and I got this stat from CBS Sports, nobody's ever done that before. Six receptions or more in 17 games. This guy's money. He's reliable. You know he's getting the ball. You can't stop it. He can get by you deep. He runs short routes. He makes people miss. He's that money guy. He's physical. He's unselfish. Remember the touchdown Dawson Knox scored earlier this year Mm -hmm. when Stephon Diggs completely laid out near the goal line? This guy has been, in my opinion, not counting quarterbacks, the, the MVP of the NFL. I'm at the point where I'm ready to say that, or at least if the playoffs counted too, I would definitely say that. He has been even better than I think anyone realistically could have ever expected. I mean, I have to agree because I think that when you make the trade, I mean, everyone really liked John Brown and what he did last year, obviously 1,000 yards, and Beasley and him were a nice combo last year, but you kind of always had this feeling like John Brown's not really the true alpha that you want can Josh Allen feed an alpha? Can Does Josh Allen need an alpha to take him kind of his game to the next level? And you go out and you get Stephon Diggs, you give up the first rounder when a lot of Bills fans before that trade happened were thinking maybe we'd go after a first round receiver, but you see what value Diggs brings as a guy that is a veteran, right? And is still a young veteran and a guy that, you know, I'm not going to say that he was or wasn't the alpha in Minnesota because they kind of had that nice thing going with him and Thielen, but like, you never really knew who maybe was the true alpha there. And so there was an, there was, it was unquestioned that he was going to be the true alpha here. And I don't, I think you're right. I don't think people really knew how good he was going to be, you know, figured, okay, well maybe Stefan Diggs is a top 10 receiver in the NFL, right? When the trade is made, maybe, right. You know, other guys are still ahead of him, but you know, as the season wore on and what he meant to the bills and kind of what he did for this team, like you said, always being there, being reliable, being that kind of combo that, you always wish that this team could have and that uh, you see throughout other teams in the league with, you know, Rodgers and Devante and Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. And, you know, for years, Matt Ryan and Julio, like you've got that now with Josh Allen and, and Diggs. And um, he's a top three wide receiver in the NFL to me right now. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, between him and Henry, they're the two best non-quarterback offensive players in the league this year. And I think him, Devonte Adams and Tyreek Hill are the, are the top three in whatever order you want to put them, the top three receivers in the NFL right now. And I think if you say that before the trade or before the games are played, I don't think a lot of people would have envisioned that that would be the case. Yeah. Let me premise this by saying, uh, I want to preface this by saying I am knocked out on Josh Allen. I am ready to roll with Josh Allen against anybody. I think he's been as good as anyone in the league this year. And I feel like going into a game, I want him as much as I want anyone else. That said, he was all right on Saturday. Stats were all right. Well, 23, 37, 206 with a touchdown, no picks, which is big. 
Um, but I kind of felt like I was watching 2019 Josh Allen, to be honest with you, because the mistakes that he made are not mistakes, but his worst throws were long balls. Now, again, the wind is definitely a factor. We talked about Marquise Brown getting behind Trey White. Well, there was a play, I think it might have been the second quarter, where Stephon Diggs was multiple yards clear of somebody and Josh sailed it like way over his head. That was a problem in 2019. Hasn't been a problem this year. This deep ball has been beautiful. Now, again, let's not act like the wind doesn't mean anything because it probably does. It was gusty out. At times, it was terrible. Um, I'm not even going to ask you if you're worried about him because I know the answer is going to be no. But, again... Stephon Diggs was the best player on the field for either team. What was your takeaway for, for Josh Allen for that game? I like the fact that, so when I say 2019 Josh Allen, I, I shouldn't have said that. That was actually irresponsible of me because I was talking about the long ball. 2019 Josh plays hero ball and throws a lot of passes that could have been intercepted. So let me clean up what I just said there. He did a lot of good things. Like I remember one time he almost fell. He got on the run, threw a perfect ball, I think, to John Brown on the sidelines. There weren't a lot of plays where Baltimore should have had an interception. He played reasonably well. It was all right. You know, that's my takeaway from him. And that was good enough because the defense got it done. And I think it'll be better against the Chiefs. But do you kind of feel the same way? Like he was was all right? Or do you think more or less of him? He was all right. He he was all right. I think you you put it well there. I mean, I think it seemed like he was, you know, a little unsettled early in the game. It didn't look... Again, it didn't look to me like he was, you know, necessarily setting setting his feet and kind of turning through some of those throws early in the game. It looked like he was kind of just kind of sidearming some of those um, and and missed a few throws. And obviously, the deep ball to Diggs, you know, who knows how much the wind affected that one? We will we'll never really know. Um, but yeah, he was all right. And then again, he almost kind of had one of those, you know, horrible plays. You know, the fumble, thankfully Dawkins fell on it. You know, that's now two weeks in a row. We've seen a play like that and we've been saved both times with um, one of our offensive linemen falling on it. So, you know, obviously no interceptions was great, but you, you'd like to see like those other types of plays. Um, you know, I, I think we've gotten to the point where I think we just have to live with those. I don't think those are ever going to go away. I mean, sure. I'd like, I'd like them to go away, but I don't think they are. And you'll obviously take the trade off of what he can do otherwise. But yeah, he was all right. I mean, he started out, you know, I think his first 14, 15 throws, he was like barely at 50%, maybe even under. And then obviously he kind of got it together a little bit. Um, but you know, like without digs, I mean, he throws for a hundred yards in this game. So, um, uh, digs obviously kind of helped, you know, just get him over that 200 yard mark, but he, he was a grinder, right. In this game, he did what he could, he did what he needed to do. He did enough, it's kind of like when, I mean, I, I play golf. I don't know if you do. It's kind of like you go out there and you don't have your best swing that day and you're just kind of trying to grind through and scrambling and making, trying to make good shots just to kind of save your score a little bit. That's kind of what it felt like he was doing. And he did enough, right? He did enough and he was all right. Let me tell you what I like most about him, and it's got nothing to do with the stat sheet, is when the game was over. So the defense pretty much, again, dominant most of the night. The offense, we both agree, they were all right. Josh, he made a couple good flash plays. Uh, you know, certainly showed maturity and patience by throwing the ball away a few times. A couple shitty long balls. And again, I'm not even 1% worried about him. I, he could put up 400 yards and four touchdowns against the Chiefs next week. I, I very much, in my heart, believe that. But my favorite thing about him on Saturday was when the game was over, dude didn't act like he won anything. 
he was barely even smiling. I mean, he talked to the to the reporter on on Channel Two or NBC and said the right things. He could speak, you know, but he looked all. I mean, he had a couple, you know, funny moments with him and Stefan when they did the interview, but he had a business look to his face, you know, like he knows the job ain't done. He doesn't look like a quarterback to me that is satisfied to win the division and get to the AFC championship. You know what I'm saying? He looks like a guy to me who is laser focused on winning and business. And I personally, I don't know about how you feel about it, but I like the fact that my quarterback did not look giddy whatsoever about this win. I was giddy. You were giddy. Josh wasn't giddy, at least not externally anyway, you know? No, I I totally agree. It's like, you know, I think he realizes that right or wrong, if the Bills, you know, don't win the Super Bowl, and I hate to say this, it's like he's going to he's he's going to be disappointed. Like you can tell he's going to be disappointed if the Bills don't win the Super Bowl because that's his goal. And it goes back to, you know, when they won the division, he was had that quote in the locker room where he was talking about how those AFC shirts and hats were great, but he wanted the one with the Super Bowl champs on it. And you can tell that's what his mindset is. He's business. He, he knows that the, there's more to do and the season's not over. And this is just another step that he and the team have to take to get to where they want to go. And, you know, he, he wants this so bad. And I think, he doesn't even necessarily even want it for himself. And I think that's what I love about it, right? He wants it for everyone else and he wants it for the city and he wants it for the fans. And that's why, what I even love about him, right? The business aspect. Yep. But the fact that you can tell that he doesn't even like for, for himself, he's kind of like, he's putting himself kind of lowest on the list on who he wants this for. And that's kind of, you know, that's what you want in in your franchise quarterback. And you want a guy that, wants to win at all costs and he wants to do it for everyone else around him, the team, the coaching staff, the fans. And, and I'm kind of with him, man. I mean, I told Steve, I was like, my expectations now are different because of how well this team has performed this year. And as a, even as a content creator, my expectations are different now for the team based on what I'm seeing out of them. It's like, I don't want to say Super Bowl or bust, but I'm kind of like, I'm kind of there now. Like if the Bills don't win the Super Bowl, it's going to be, it's going to be a disappointment, I think. And, and Josh is going to be disappointed too. Yeah, for sure. You know, I want to give credit to Nate Gary from WGR. He had a tweet after the game uh, that I thought was pretty telling. He, he was talking about Baltimore having a lot of respect for Josh Allen because mm-hmm. the Ravens were a team that blitzed more than any team in the NFL. But on Saturday, they kind of sat back and, as Nate said, they fundamentally changed what they do as a football team and as a defense to try and beat Josh Allen. I think that says a lot about the respect that teams have because Josh Allen's been better than anyone in the NFL all season at beating the Blitz. And that's what the Ravens do. And they kind of changed everything up to try to try to beat them. And I think that tells a lot about them. And by the way, the Bills offensive line, I thought they played very well. Allen got sacked twice, but they had a lot of time for the most part to throw the football and can't really judge how they didn't run block because they only tried to run the ball nine times the entire game, not counting Josh's scrambles, which by the way, there were no, I don't know if this is telling or not, but there were no design runs for Josh Allen. I don't mm-hmm. think, at least if there were, I can't think of one. I could be wrong, but I don't think there were. But anyway, going forward now, I, I don't think the bills need to be more like balanced per se with pass versus run, but they got at least, 
don't you think they at least had to keep the defense like semi honest with the running game? Again, the Bills, the only touchdown of the night, the, the drive of the night on Saturday is when they used Devin Singletary. And yep. uh, I don't even think he had a carry in the first half. I don't even think a running back. I think the only rush in the first half was Josh Allen on a scramble. Unless I'm wrong, there might have been one Singletary carry, but I know there wasn't more than that. Anyway, I don't know. Right now, I felt for quite a while that the Bills don't trust fully Devin Singletary. I, I think that goes back to last year, too. He's got to be more involved because, again, there's clearly trust issues with this dude dating back to last year. I think that's why they drafted Zach Moss as early as they did in the third round. I think that's why they openly talked about trying to sign Le'Veon Bell, which, by the way, they got they did because that dude is just oh, yeah. washed up. He is yeah. a shell of his former self. But anyway, that Zach Moss injury is more important, I think, than, than we originally thought. But regardless, they, they got to find a way to use Singletary a little bit more. Again, I'm not saying it should be a 50-50 team. But you, don't you think anyway? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they should just sling the ball 50 times. But uh, I feel like they need to find a way to get Singletary and potentially T.J. Eldon more involved against Kansas City. What do you think? I mean, I agree. I think he had one carry. It was like kind of towards the end of the first half, uh, in like one carry in the first half. And it's not, I, to me, it's not a coincidence that the best drive of the game was that opening drive of the third quarter where yep. they actually did mix in the run a little bit. And it's not even like they all of a sudden went the 180 and went totally to the run because we know this is a passing team. We know this is Josh Allen's offense. But, I mean, they ran the ball three times. That was it on that on that second drive uh, opening drive of the second half they ran it three times but that's almost like all you need to do just mix it right. in here and there i mean and singletary is capable with a little crease he can get you you know seven eight yards i mean he had the nice 12 yard run which obviously set them up uh well and then um you know josh i think uh if i'm not mistaken i think he had uh, a design run on that opening uh drive of the second half i could be wrong it could it could have been a scramble um, but in any case, I think you're right. The, getting back to the philosophical question, they just need to mix it in here and there, right? They mix it in here and there, and just to keep the defense a little honest, to know that they're capable, and just be efficient with the runs that you do do decide to do, right? Like it doesn't doesn't mean you got to go out there and run the ball 25, 30 times, but if you run the ball, you know, 15 times, and you can average over four yards a carry on those runs, then at least you're being efficient with those runs, and I think it does help them out because. Again, that second uh, opening drive of the second half was their best drive of the game, and um, and honestly, that was their best running plays of the game were on that drive. So uh, I'm with you on that. I think it just needs to be mixed in maybe a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. And I'll tell you what, just like like I turned on ESPN on Monday morning, and predictably it was all about not so much giving the Bills defense credit, but Lamar Jackson just not playing well. I'm going to give Baltimore's defense some credit on why Maybe the Bills didn't play great because Baltimore is a uh, they're a good football team. And again, the Bills deserve a lot more credit nationally than they're getting early on for beating them and for the defense playing well. And it doesn't matter who gives a shit. You know, Baltimore's done and the Bills are still playing. But let's not act like this wasn't a good team. Baltimore came into Buffalo. I think they won, what, six in a row, and they were averaging like 38 points a game. They were hot. Bottom man. line, this team came to Buffalo and they left with a field goal, you know? So mm -hmm. I don't care who did what. The defense played well to only allow three points. Just a couple more quick things here I had in my notes. One of them was, 
I, I worry, this is just me personally, I worry about rookies a little bit when they have bad nights more than I worry about a veteran player. And I, I here's the hoping that Tyler Bass, he missed two field goals. And again, wind might have played a big factor. Uh, Gabe Davis had two drops, including a touchdown. These are guys that have been huge for Buffalo this year. I just hope, again, because they're rookies, I'm saying this, that they get that shit out of their mind and that it doesn't linger. I'm confident in it. Like Tyler Bass did not kick well early this season, and then he just became a machine. So I, I hopefully it's just a, like a, you know, a little minor setback because him and, and again, Gabriel Davis, they've just been a very big part of this team, which, by the way, just yet another reason to really give Brandon Bean credit because this rookie class, like A.J. Vanessa's played some, and Zach Moss's his role was growing, and then he got hurt. But Gabriel Davis is a fourth-round pick, man, and Bass is a sixth-round pick. And these guys have been very instrumental to uh, the Bills' success this season. I, re- I truly believe that Dave Davis has been huge. You know what I'm saying? But hopefully – them having an off night is just that, just an off night. Do you worry about stuff like that with rookies, or you, you're pretty confident they're, they're going to be perfectly fine? Uh, I I will say this, and I love Tyler Bass. I, I really do. I think he's been incredible this year. That I go back to that Jets game where he got the you know all those attempts and kind of like made up for the lack of the preseason. Getting those real reps in that game wasn't the worst thing in the world. I think for the bills long-term that he got those six field goals in that game. Cause it kind of like made up for lost time in the preseason. I'm less mm-hmm. worried about Gabriel Davis um, bouncing back than I am Tyler Bass. And the reason for that is I, I think that Gabriel Davis has shown enough, um, you know, throughout the year with, you know, toe drag swag and all these other yeah, things. They might not beat the Colts if it ain't for him. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. But Tyler Bass, I mean, in, in reality, like he did make a, a somewhat important kick against the Colts. I'm not going to take that away from him, but, um, when you talk about that game and both kickers missing two field goals, you, you, you kind of turn to one side and say, well, for Justin Tucker, that's an anomaly. This guy's a veteran and this is just like so rare for him. So maybe, maybe the wind, you know, was a factor, but for Tyler Bass as a rookie, can he get his head right and rebound? Um, especially cause like you said, in the beginning of the season, it was a little shaky. Then he kind of got in his groove and, and really got that confidence. But I think, if you think about the body of work for both of them, I would hope that their confidence level will still be high. And I would hope that the coaching staff will be in their ear this week too, kind of pumping them back up saying like, look, don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's fine. It's not going to, you know, affect our confidence in you. And, you know, honestly for Tyler Bass at the end of the day, I don't think a field goal, I I don't think field goals are going to be the difference against the chiefs. Um, Now who knows, maybe it could be like 42, 42 at the end of the game and we need a field goal to win it. But uh, (laughs) every chiefs game seems to be a one score game. So I don't know, man. I I mean, yes, I, 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 but I guess settling for field goals, isn't going to be the the story It's going to be like, if it's at the end of the game and we need it to kind of like maybe go for the win, then that's where maybe you, you worry about it. But, I think both guys will bounce back, but if I had to say like who I'm more confident in immediately bouncing back, I would say it's Gabriel Davis. For sure. Last thing I had to it, and this is not surprising. I mean, if you're a Bills fan or you follow the team, you should have already expected this. 6,700 fans in that stadium, and it sounded like 60 at times. Absolutely amazing. I mean, they caused false starts on that Teron Johnson return. I've watched videos from people who were at the stadium like the, the, there is no roof, so I'm being proverbial here, but the roof blew off the place. It was just so loud, so incredible. These fans are uh, 
they're awesome. It would have been nice to host AFC Championship, but, you know, that's the way it goes. They got a – Cleveland had a great opportunity, and they blew it. Mm-hmm. So they're going to Kansas City. Uh, one thing, Josh Allen – and, again, we played the Chiefs earlier this year, lost 26-17. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned it because it it sounds like to an outside person that might sound like an excuse, but it's really not. That span where they played Tennessee and then Kansas City – they didn't know what days and who they were playing. They didn't even know what team, if they were going to play Tennessee or not until a handful of days before. I truly believe that did play at least a little bit into their performance. Uh, Josh, that was probably his worst game of the year. He was 14 to 27. He only threw for 122 yards. Did throw two touchdowns, but he had a pick. Um, and, and again, the Chiefs won 26-17. One thing I'm sure everyone will agree on is that I expect the Bills' run defense to be better because I think Kansas City gashed them there like uh, – 245 yards rushing that game. Ran the ball 46 times. I don't expect that to happen again. But uh, Josh Allen's definitely going to have to play better than he did the first time. And I'm sure he can. And I expect him to. He's going to have to, right? That's not going to get it done. They're not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs like they beat the Baltimore Ravens on Saturday. Oh, definitely not. And I mean, Josh was going through that um, non-throwing shoulder injury too, I believe, at that time uh, in that, that stretch. So I think that did have an effect on him. And then the Bills game planning, I think just being so undermanned, um, you know, Edmonds, uh, Milano being out, um, Edmonds not being 100%, Feliciano out on the offensive line. So, like, Bills were just trying to survive the best they could, I think, in that first go around against the Chiefs and kind of, like, really kind of were saying to themselves, we're going to try to just not let Patrick Mahomes beat us and we're going to kind of, like, let them run, if you will, and just try to hold them as best we can. And I don't think they're going to do that again. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the game plan for them this time around, but you're right. Josh Allen's going to, you know, maybe have to play the, I don't want to say the best game of his season. Cause he's had some really good games, but he's going to have to play a really solid game uh, this week. He's going to have to you know, not turn the ball over. He's going to have to avoid, you know, big negative plays and he's just going to have to be on. And I think that the, we've seen it for, like you said, like 18 games. I mean, He's been pretty good all year. I mean, there's no reason for us to expect that he can't have a good game against Kansas City. I mean, Baker Mayfield and an undermanned, um, you know, Browns receiving core, you know, Noel Dell in there. He had Jarvis Landry and kind of, you know, Rashard Higgins and some some guys like Donovan's Peoples Jones. I mean, Josh Allen's got the weapons to move the ball against the Chiefs, and the Browns did move the ball against the Chiefs. So um He's going to have to have a good game, and I mean, I fully expect him to have a good game, a, way, a much better game than he had early in the year, and, and uh, Phil Sims rightfully pointed this out as they were previewing right after that Chiefs-Browns game ended yesterday. He's like, look, this isn't the same Bills team that the Chiefs played back in week six, and and honestly, like you can make the case that the Chiefs aren't quite as good as they were back in week six either, so you could almost see this as being like really even match now. Um, you know, Obviously, we all expect Patrick to play, so... Yep, Josh's going to have to have a great game, and I fully expect him to do everything he can. And, you know, a great game may not be enough, but I still expect him to have the Bills in it all the way to the end and him having a, you know, really gutty performance. I think the big difference between this year and last year is last year I would have hoped that Josh Allen was going to have a big game on this stage. This year I expect him to have a big game on this stage. I see no reason in the world why he's not. Do you think right now the Bills are kind of playing with house money a little bit? And what I mean by that is this. I would say general – now, 
maybe they don't feel this way. But in terms of expectations from fans and from media, I think going into the season, the expectation was they were probably favored to win the division. And so you could say, all right, well, let's win in division and let's win a playoff game. If you do that, no matter what happens after that, it's gravy. And we could call this this season a success, a building block. They've won the division. They went 13 and three. Uh, should have been 14 and two. Were not for that Hail Mary. They've been on a 12 game winning streak right now, which is that just blows my damn mind. Yep. Um, they've won not one, two playoff games, and they weren't easy games either. They played two quality football teams that are very good. And he's a good football team. Baltimore was, besides the Bills, the hottest team in the NFL coming in. Again, I'm going to keep saying that because. Baltimore was not a team that I I was not happy when Pittsburgh choked against Cleveland. I did not want to play Baltimore. Same. I ain't going to lie about it. But the Bills had no business. So you get to this point. Now you're on the road. You're in the AFC Championship. If they win, obviously everybody wants the Bills to win. If you're a Bills fan anyway, and the Bills expect to win, I'm sure, as an organization. But as a fan, do you kind of feel like they're playing with house money right now? Like if they lose on Sunday, do you consider this season a success? Yeah, it's a success no matter what happens Sunday. I mean, it, I it has to be. It has to be. I mean, you hit it on the head. We said win the division, win a playoff game, get that playoff sort of win monkey off your back, and then everything after that's gr- kind of gravy. Beating two good teams along the way, the AFC, you know, playoff um, bracket or you know teams are top to bottom, you know, stronger in my opinion than the, the NFC kind of was throwing out there just by definition. You know, you had no no one less than eleven wins in the AFC make the playoffs so you beat two quality teams and you go into kansas city and i i actually tweeted this yesterday you know the benefits of playing kansas city are what you just said like the pressure is really on kansas city because the expectation is that kansas city would run their run their way easily through the afc and you know honestly they're favored to win the super bowl again and repeat so the pressure's on kansas city because the expectation is that they are going to win um, especially now with as many people that picked the Ravens to beat the Bills uh, last week in the media, I can't imagine there's going to be a ton of people, you know, assuming Patrick plays, which we all think he will, I can't imagine there's going to be a whole lot of people picking the Bills to win this game. And so for the Bills, they've done what they needed to do this year. They won the division. They won 13 games. They won two playoff games. And they're in the AFC Championship game against arguably the best team in the NFL, you know, maybe for the next seven to 10 years pending how it plays out. But yeah, they're playing with house money. There's, there should be less pressure on the bills than were they to host the Browns. Now, obviously that might've been an easier matchup, but there would have been more pressure on the bills in that situation. So give me the situation where the bills can play the underdog role one more time. And, and I'm happy about that because it seems like they play better um, when they're the, when they kind of have that chip on their shoulder and feel like they're the underdog. Well, I'll tell you what, last week, I felt like a lot of people, um, I'm going to guess here, I would say 65 to 70% of people that I saw predictions come from had Baltimore. And I felt that was disrespectful to me. Again, you're talking about a team that's 13 and three, should have been 14 and two. They were at home and everybody was picking Baltimore. And that felt disrespectful to me. Not that it matters, again, because the games are played on the field, but a little bit disrespected, I, I felt the Bills were. I think if everyone picks Kansas City, they deserve to be the pick. They're the best team, and they're at home, and they have, they're have they the defending Super Bowl champions, so let's not forget that. And they have 
arguably the best player in the NFL. They have the best tight end in the NFL. They have the most explosive receiver in the NFL, and they had a lot of weapons. So they deserve to be the pick, and the Bills deserve to be the underdogs, but not big ones. Because, again, having said that, the Bills can win. Kansas City won nine games this year, including Sunday. I just won score, okay? In fact, their last six victories have come by, all of them have come by one score. That's a pattern. It's one thing to go in a little bit of a lull and, you know, squeak out a couple games, but six straight wins, their last six wins have all been by one score. That tells me this team is 100% beatable. And I'll also say this too, as, as we wrap up, and I'll tell people listening, for you and Steve, I'm sure you guys, and again, people are hearing this Tuesday, so go back. I'll put a link to it in the show notes and check out their show from Monday. I'm sure you guys are going to spend tons of time talking about the Ravens game. And then on Thursday's show, I'm sure you're going to spend tons of time previewing the Chiefs game. On Friday's show here, I'm sure I'll have a much more in-depth Kansas City Chiefs preview. But again, I have watched this team play more than most. First of all, I like watching the Chiefs play. Secondly, um, a player who's he's a, a close family friend of mine, Damone Harris. A lot of people know he is from Buffalo. Um, he plays for the Chiefs. So I watch all I know a lot about the Chiefs. I watch them play a lot. More than most Bills fans. This team is good, but they're they're beatable. They look for dude, Dave, I'm telling you, for 10, 15 minutes at a time, they look like nobody on earth could beat them. They look like you could put together the NFL all pro team and Mahomes is gonna drop 40 on them. But they go through spurts where they don't play well. The defense gives up big plays. The offense misses chances. Uh, they turn the ball over. Some bad penalties, drops. This team is beatable. I truly believe that. And I'm not saying that as a homer. I think the Bills have almost, if they don't have a 50% chance of winning this game, they got a 48% chance of winning this game. I truly in my heart feel that way. Do you feel, and again, we both agree that they're playing with house money. But do you honestly, in your heart, feel that the Bills have a very legitimate chance to win? Or do you think everything needs to go perfect for them and everything needs to go wrong for Kansas City? Um, no, I don't think everything needs to go perfect for them because, I mean, everything didn't go perfect for the Browns. And now I know Patrick got hurt, but like Browns had that back-breaking play that fumbled through the end zone and you kind of figured that was it for them. But they battled, they came back. I mean, the Chiefs could were settling for field goals. You talked about how they were winning by one score. I mean, I remember watching that Denver game in primetime and watching Denver keep them out of the end zone all night, and Denver obviously huge underdog in that game. I remember watching them play against Atlanta and needing kind of like a, a miracle in a way to win that game. Young Hoku missed a kick at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. The Chiefs have been trouble against the Falcons, like, which, is, which is not a good team this year. So I don't necessarily think everything needs to go the Bills' way by any means, but I do think the Bills... I do. Th- I, I would give the Bills, like you said, I think they're, it's between a 40 and 50% chance. I think it, they're right there if it's not 50-50. It's in that 40% range. And, you know, Vegas is kind of putting that out there as well with the Chiefs being two and a half home favorites, which kind of tells you that it's really almost a pick them because they, they tend to build in two to three points for the home team in these games. So um, the Bills do have a legitimate chance, and I think that if the Bills can take the mindset of, you know, we're just as good as this team, they're beatable, but let's not put the pressure on ourselves. Let's let them have the pressure on, you know, on them being like the home team, being the favorite. Then we can do everything we need to do in this game to win. And um, 
it would not surprise me if the Bills win this game, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they lose. And I guess that's the point of it being a 50-50. And, you know, but I think to say that the Bills have no chance to win is not is not fair, right? They definitely have a legitimate chance to win. Yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be many people out there at all, except for maybe Nick Wright and Skip Bayless who are going to say the Bills have no chance. I think <laughs> everyone's going to say the Bills have a chance. I think some people think more things need to go the Bills' way than others, whereas I just think the Bills need to play really good football. They need to play uh, not their best game. They need to play close to it, mm-hmm. and the defense needs to come away and make, uh, you know, I'm not going to count on another pick six, but they need to make a couple plays on defense because they're going to give up yards and they're going to give up points. But if they can get themselves an extra two possessions, I really, truly like their chances. And here's how we're going to end. I'm not going to ask you for a Buffalo Kansas City prediction now. It's early in the week, and I'm sure you're going to want to think on that for a few days and save it for the show that you guys do on Thursday. But I am going to put you out a spot in the other conference because let's have a little fun here. Let's end by saying this. It's Sunday. It's 10 p.m. We're in our glory right now. We're in a state of euphoria. The Buffalo Bills have done it. They knocked off the Kansas City Chiefs. And they are going to the Super Bowl. I'm going to ask you right now, who are the Buffalo Bills playing in the Super Bowl? I'm going to answer with my heart and my head, I guess, both. For full disclosure, my wife's family are all huge Packers fans. They're all huge Packers fans. So I've been kind of dreading in a way if if it were to be a Bills Packers Super Bowl because it would be tense in my house, man. I'm going to tell you that right now. It would be very tense. Her family being Packers fans, me being Bills. So I'm going to say it's going to be the Packers because I have a feeling that I'm going to get put through the ringer if the Bills win and it's going to be Bills-Packers Super Bowl and I'm going to be like pulling my hair out and not knowing like what's going on in my house for two weeks <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to be, it's going to be just bad if that's the case. And so that's why I think that's what's going to happen. It's going to be Packers bills. You know what? Quick, funny little story or side story. Uh, one of my closest friends who also lives down here in Florida, his girlfriend is a big Packers fan. And even just for both playoff games, especially this week, because they played one after each other, we watch it at their house. And mm-hmm. I had to listen to go pack go from her and a couple of other Packers fans who went there before the Bills game. And uh, <laughs> I I don't want the Packers – I don't want the Packers to go to the Super Bowl for one reason, one reason only. It, tell me how fitting it would be. You, you sweep Bill Belichick, you're playing in Tampa, where Scott Norwood misses that field goal, and an opportunity to beat Tom Brady in the oh, Super Bowl. Oh, that's what I want. Trust it's me, that's just, what I want. But <laughs> I just think it's going to be the Packers. I want Yeah, that. I do too. You know what, though? I'll tell you what. For many, 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 many years, Bills fans have been out of the playoff picture. Right now, in a typical year, if this would have been most of the last 20 years, you and I would probably be doing a mock draft right now. You know what I mean? Bills would mm-hmm. pick an eight it is fun as a football fan. Forget if you're a Bills fan. Look at the quarterback matchups. You got Josh Allen against Pat Mahomes, and then you got Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady. They That's don't great. get no better than that, man. What a great weekend we got in store. We're just fans of the NFL period. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's like the old the old guard on the NFC playing each other and then the new guard of the AFC playing each other. And so it's uh, it's going to be fun because either way, you're going to have the old guard versus the new guard in the Super Bowl. So that'll be fun. Um, but this, yeah, it's really shaping up to be 
great quarterback matchups. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think he could have drawn it up any better. I mean, no matter who won that game last night, you were either going to have breeze against Rogers or Brady against Rogers. So you were going to get that kind of storyline, but yeah, it's going to be great weekend. I love conference championship weekend. Um, and I'm going to be stressed out about it, but I'm usually not because we're not in it, but I'm going to be stressed out about it this, this time around. <laughs> I just think the Bills would have a better chance, by the way, of being the Buccaneers and uh, Green Bay. I think Green Bay's got a great I team. I agree. But, yeah, for sure. All right, everyone, give Dave a follow on Twitter at Tilt Money. Of course, check out Air Raid Hour Monday and Thursday nights live on YouTube, part of the Buffalo Fanatics Network, along with Steve Mathis. Bro, been a long time. I've wanted you on the show for a while. You talked about it at the beginning. It just there was always something that prevented it from working out. But couldn't think of a better week than to have you on for the first time during AFC Championship Week. So this was a lot of fun. It was a good chat. And uh, thank you very, very much for being on the show, buddy. And thank you, Pat. I really appreciate you having me on. Really means a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, David Tilton, Air Raid Hour, Monday, Thursday nights, Steve Mathis, YouTube Live. Good chat. That was fun. Thank you again, Dave. Thank all of you as well for listening. I say it all the time, man. There's so many good shows out there. When you're locked into this one for 30, 45, 60 minutes, whatever, I don't take that lightly. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you. So thank you very much. Have a good week. I will be back with a brand new show of Bills Chiefs AFC Championship Review Show on Friday.